Welcome to the show, guys. I appreciate everybody listening. Before we start here, just make sure you hit that like and subscribe button for me. That means a lot. Um, with that being said, um, I got a special guest here. His name is Nick DeMarco. He's currently the Director of Sports Performance at Elon University. Um, and I'll let Nick tell you about himself, his journey, how he got there, um, all the steps he took to get him there. So, Nick, go ahead and kind of introduce yourself for the crowd. Yeah, so... Like you said, Nick DeMarco, I'm currently at Elon University as the director of sports performance. Um, before that, was at the University of Iowa as an assistant strength and conditioning coach for football uh, for a little under three and a half years. Uh, prior to that, I was at William Penn University. Uh, that's where I did my undergraduate work. I was a student assistant there for three out of the four years that I was in college. Um, and in between my junior and senior year, I had interned at the University of Iowa with the football staff. Uh, that's how I was kind of connected to get that assistant role after college. Uh, during my undergrad, I would train with a football team since I was a football athlete there. And then I would go in and kind of coach groups later in the day. Got a chance to actually lead some teams while I was there, being a smaller school. Um, so that was really my biggest exposure from an early age to kind of what strength and conditioning was. And I had a fantastic coach, Ike Hammerly. And the day that I got to college and realized that was a profession uh, and he was a strength coach who got to work with multiple sports, work in the weight room, the things I really loved, I decided that was kind of what I wanted to do. Um, so luckily for me, him, the rest of the staff, uh, there were some really good assistants there at that time who have gone on to other jobs like John Haugen's at IMG Academy now. He was the head strength coach at Wayne Penn for a while. A um, bunch of other guys, Spencer Rimmick, Jared Lackey, Colin Kilberg, Josh Beauregard, Corey Gray, guys that have gone on to other good jobs. Um, just getting a chance to hang around them and probably bug the crap out of them and learn from them was really a second to none experience. I think it really kind of springboarded my career. Um, but prior to that, went to high school, grew up in St. Louis, thought I wanted to be a teacher slash coach of some sort. Um, so really, really fortunate that I stumbled upon William Penn and kind of the right situation. Um, but currently live here in North Carolina uh, with my wife, Brianne, and then our uh, two children, Henry and Olivia. So we got our hands full with uh, two kids under two right now. Awesome. Sounds like you got a lot going on. Um, so yeah, um, for those who are listening, Elon puts out a lot of great stuff on social media. Um, in my opinion, they seem to be the most transparent school about what they do, why they do it, how they're implementing certain methods and techniques with their athletes. So I encourage everybody to go check out their Instagram there. Um, got a lot of cool stuff. And so kind of just to bounce, bounce off of that, um, Nick is someone that doesn't necessarily use the Olympic lifts, um, with his athletes. Um, so I just like Nick to kind of explain his thought process on that, why, why he doesn't think they're necessarily a great use of time. So, um, yeah, Nick, just what are your thoughts on thoughts on that? Yeah. So I was someone who, when I played football, if someone had taken the Olympic lifts away from me would probably have been a bit upset about it. Uh, I thought as a player, there was something that really helped me. Um, that back squat, like all the weight room stuff is a typical meathead college football player. I thought, oh, this is really what's helping me. Um, but then myself and Jake Niederman, who was on our staff here, uh, he was the first guy hired into a full-time role. Um, he's now at the University of Minnesota, but we were both competitive Olympic lifters once our college careers ended. 
and absolutely love the Olympic lifts, still use them in my own training. I think they're fun. But we kind of got into the debate, um, and a lot of our staff members, uh, Cam Ringstead, Jordan Newsma, really pushed the idea of kind of eliminating them. And I think Jake and I were a little bit hesitant at first, but now have kind of come full circle. Um, as people who absolutely love them, to we still love them, but just realize it's probably not the best use of time uh, with a college athlete. So really everything for me when I'm picking exercise comes down to return on investment. And I think with the Olympic lifts, it's just a low return on investment compared to a lot of other options. And the biggest thing is people argue like, oh, it's so hard to coach, teach, et cetera. Um, I think if you're a good coach, you can teach the Olympic lifts. But there is a, a amount of time that has to be dedicated to that before it actually becomes beneficial. Like, yeah, I can get athletes to clean really well right away. Can you get them to clean really well right away with the weight required to elicit adaptation? Probably not. Um, it's quite difficult to get guys hammering really big weights with really good technique right away. Um, but aside from that, it really comes down to the time invested on a daily basis. So if you're talking about your first block in the weight room being the Olympic lift paired with whatever else, if you're someone that does, you know, multiple things per block. Um, and every time that we did the clean, you could almost allocate 20 to 30 minutes for it. Like it just takes time because you got to come in, you, you know, depends on what your strength level is, but so you hit 135, 185, 225, 250, you're finally at 275, your first working set. You've just wasted seven minutes just because it's a highly technical movement versus if we're doing that ground-based explosives, like a loaded jump, dump, any variation of it, just a shock method, plyometric, whatever it may be, we're coming from the field where we just sprinted and jumped or the court where we just did some sprints and jumps and we can jump right into those things because it's a similar movement. It doesn't have the technical focus first, no matter how prepped you are to do the Olympic lifts from a, uh, got a good sweat going, you feel good. You're completely warmed up. There's still a technical aspect. So you have to take those prep sets leading up to it. So overall, I just thought it took way too much time. Um, but then as far as the actual application of the exercise, Unless you're hitting a max effort power clean, there's a point in which you're decelerating the bar yourself. And a lot of the movement becomes that. Like if a 350-pound cleaner takes 275, most of the time he can rapidly extend as hard as he wants, but he's going to stop the bar and place it on his chest. Versus if you do a ballistic uh, counter-movement jump with dumbbells, a barbell, trap bar, whatever it may be, you're truly exploding all the way through the movement. Uh, there's no deceleration aspect on the extension. And then people argue, you know, the Olympic lifting catch is so valuable, ability to uh, accept force, things like this. Well, to me, it's you can easily just step off a box, do an altitude drop, uh, if I jump and land with a weight, I'm actually getting a lot more force absorption qualities than if I catch a clean. Um, and then people argue the coordination aspect. To me, it's just coordination of what? Like the ability to rapidly extend and then flex. I mean, you can do that kind of anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's any sort of argument from the Olympic lifts besides the fact that a coach really likes them to implement them over other things when 
all you're looking at is what gives me the greatest return with my athletes. And since we've been doing it for the past, uh, about the past year, really, um, with most of our teams, past six, seven months with all of our teams, we really haven't looked back because you can just hop right in, hit some dumbbell jumps, um, hit whatever else is in your first pairing. And we've actually added a, another pairing to most of our lower body days to where we can get in some more uh, frontal plane work, more resilience work, or even a second primary exercise that we didn't get a chance to focus on and use the weight room, what it's intended for a lot more of that strength kind of body armor um, outside of a movement where really if I could just sprint, jump, and jump with heavy loads, throw heavy loads, whatever it may be, I can probably get a better stimulus out of that anyway. Yeah, this is interesting. Um, you made a post on Instagram, with which I think you had a lot of good points, kind of just re reiterating what you just said there. Um, I'm someone that uses the Olympic lifts. I'm a big proponent of them. Um, now with all my athletes, but um, so I work with men's basketball. I work with volleyball, tennis. So um, some of those athletes, I Olympic lift, some of them I don't, but, uh, there's two kind of things about Olympic lifting that I think kind of gets missed. Um, one, one point of view would be from the variation standpoint. Um, so you can dumbbell jump, barbell jump, trap bar jump, do all these loaded jumps. Um, I just think if you have the ability to, um, clean from the floor, snatch from the floor, um, you probably have the ability to hang clean, hang snatch. Um, clean from blocks, snatch from blocks, um, jump shrugs, just all the, the variants off the Olympic lifts. So I think from that aspect, you're going to have to introduce some novelty at some point with your athletes um, to elicit more adaptation. So I think it just gives you a bigger, a bigger bucket to draw uh, exercises from that you can just kind of pick and choose which exercises you want to use. From, so from a variation standpoint, um, I think if you can get the athletes to Olympic lift pretty well, you're probably going to be able to get them to do a lot of other things really well. And when you need to introduce some novelty, um, you have a pretty easy route to do that with. Um, and then the, the second point I want to bring up, um, which you kind of touched on it a little bit, um, is that rapid deceleration or bracing or, um, yeah, whatever you, what you elicited to. Um, I think the Olympic lifts, what it does is it allows you to produce force rapidly into another object. Um, and actually make that um, other object move in space, which is something you got to do in football. You know, you're, you're not just producing force, you're actually producing force into another object to make that person move. Or um, I think it relates to sports in that aspect. But no, I think your arguments against Olympic lifting is very well thought out. Um, I think all of the implementations you use um, instead of the Olympic lifts are awesome, man. So I appreciate you giving your thoughts on that. I'd like to keep picking your brain a little bit. Um, and we'll move on to kind of another subject, which is uh, like speed and agility training. I think you guys at Elon have put a lot of great information out on social media with what you guys do as far as uh, speed and agility work and making things sport-like. Um, so what are some of the methods you use um, over at Elon for speed and agility training? What kind of stuff do you like to do with your athletes from that standpoint? Yeah. So for us, I mean, that's really the name of the game. Like on field speed is critical to everything, whether it's basketball where true max velocity sprinting is not important at all, but the ability to react and stay in front of a opponent 
or get by an opponent is absolutely critical. Um, so I think those are things that a lot of people miss um, and do a lot of these basic cone, uh, change of direction drills, uh, just a lot of wasted time in my opinion. So for us, everything is going to be tailored towards, we want guys to get faster no matter what sport. Um, speed reserve is critical. Faster athletes accelerate faster. Um, if they have the perceptual abilities, they'll react faster. Um, and then that other side of the spectrum is many things that we can tie agility into and actually reacting to opponents. We're going to try to, um, and that really depends on the sport. Like for me, for football, it's absolutely critical because you don't play football year round. Like you do, um, our basketball team, soccer team, we're probably spending the least amount of time with them on these true like open agility scenarios just because they're playing basketball year round. Now we'll still do that stuff with them. Uh, we're not just going to sub in some like basic change of direction drill for those teams. Uh, but it's just a lot smaller allotment of time since they get so much of it year round. Mm -hmm. um, but for football, I think if you're not doing those things year round, you're really missing the boat because all they get is that brief exposure in spring ball and then a huge weight to the fall. So if you're completely neglecting a skill, which is that perception action element, um, I think people just miss that that's a quality. They think we have to do change of direction and then our change of direction leads into this, but that's taking two separate skills and taking one to try and improve the other, which really has little to no bearing on that skill. Um, so for me, it's <clears throat> we're going to start with very generalized movements. Um, we've broken it down as simple as we could into a mirror category, a chaser category, and a score category. Yeah. Once a week, we'll spend eight to ten minutes on each category on our agility-focused day and start very general games, one-on-one um, -on -one matchup style and progress into maybe it's two on two, three on three, whatever it may be. And that's going to lead into the summer where we're doing more of our, our seven on sevens, uh, things like that in a full team capacity. But we're going to take those drills from general one-on-one -on -one matchup games to as close to their position as possible. And we'll break it up by position and really focus on whatever nuance it is that they have. So uh, to give a clear example, say you have a running back, um, one of the drills, like when we start, might be just a basic one-on-one -on -one score. 10-yard box, try and get past the defender. One, it's really fun. Two, it's a realistic-ish scenario, but again, very general because they could dance around forever, things like that. Um, as we progress to the most specific-ish thing that we would do before actual practice, seven-on-seven, seven, things of that nature, it might be um, we have some – humans just standing there as if they're uh, gaps, like where the running back is supposed to hit. We'll have a linebacker on the other side because for a running back, they have to make really um, low speed cuts and tight spaces close to the line of scrimmage. That's what they're tasked to do. That linebacker has to do the same thing. He has to react quick, fill that gap in a really tight space, essentially. And once they get through – say the linebacker tags off, say misses them, doesn't matter. There's going to be a safety downfield because what's the next transition? Bigger spaces, higher velocities with a one-on-one -on -one matchup. So there's more space, more speed. Closer to the line of scrimmage, you have your condensed space, condensed speed, um, 
So trying to just kind of replicate some of those scenarios and put them in it to where hopefully they can improve those skills a little bit. Um, but I think the, even the general means are going to have some carryover as long as it's human versus human um, kind of perception action. And then the more specific you get, obviously, the more that they'll be able to chunk that information together and kind of apply it to the field. Yeah, the human-human interaction, I think, is huge. Um, I think you always got to have a visual stimulus, which is going to be a human, an auditory stimulus, which is going to come from a human, and then a touch stimulus, which is always going to come from a human. So doing stuff like that compared to a pro agility on a whistle or on a go or on a coach pointing a finger one direction is going to have a much more carryover to uh, to sports. I'm also not big on the argument that you need to progress into these more reactive scenarios. I mean, seven-year-old kids are playing AAU <laughs> basketball four games on a weekend. That's going to be a greater stimulus to them, and they can handle it compared to a coach telling him to shuffle five yards and stick on the line and hold that stick position, you know? Um, yep. I don't know yeah. what, if, if you have any more thoughts on that. Yeah. I think it's just such a poor argument because yeah, one, like, uh, Michael's wife has talked about it quite a bit. Um, there's some research that indicates that like the movements that you're going to choose when reacting to opponent are going to be quite a bit different, even though they may look similar than like a true change direction and so much of the change direction is it's easy for coach set up it's really obedience driven like hey get around the cone touch the line this or that but nobody makes 180 degree cuts with their backhand on the ground mm -hmm. completely unrealistic like it doesn't happen um but yeah that's what we train 90 percent of the time in a lot of programs um and then like you said you know all oh, they have to be able to change direction well before they can go into these agility based games yet they've completed four years most likely of playing their sport in high school, um, but they're not ready to get in a really somewhat closed but open environment that I'm controlling doesn't make any sense. Um, they, they should be able to do those things immediately. And if there's some egregious like technical errors, um, most of the time it's not going to come from teaching them better change of direction mechanics. It's going to come from they probably need – the ability to control their body better, yeah. whether it's practice, getting reps. Yeah. Yeah. Even in the weight room, single leg strength, plyometrics, whatever it may be. Are you reacting to, you know, what you see as an issue or are you going to actually fix the underlying issue? Yeah. And go to any elementary school, <laughs> go look at recess. They're doing depth drops off of jungle gyms, <laughs> playing tag, all that stuff. So, I, yeah, I don't buy the argument that they need to progress and week by week slowly integrate these more advanced uh, drills. Yeah, I just don't buy that argument. So do you guys at Elon do any closed drills for agility um, work? So we do no um, agility close stuff. Our like change of direction mechanics, um, we have one thing that we really do. And every single day – that we do agility, we'll do our change of direction progression beforehand. And really what that comes down to is we want to make sure that we expose them to every, you know, angle. So we call it an eight vector cut, but we just want to create some balance. Like we want to make sure they're getting a 45 degree cut on their right leg, 45 on their left, like some level of balance, exposing those things. Um, 
and making sure that from more of a injury prevention standpoint, we're addressing those things. But it's a very basic progression that Jordan Newsman, our staff, came up with. So you'll go one step, cut it a 45. One step, cut it a 90. One step, reverse 45. One step, 180 back. And then do the same thing on your left leg on the other side. And then we'll go two step. We'll go into a five yard. Then we'll make it a reactive. So even our change of direction becomes agility based and we'll go what we would call like uphill. So you can only go at a 45 right or left and the partner trailing has to react, but there's only two options. And then we'll go top of the hill. So you can go 45 in either direction, 90 in either direction. Then we might go just the bottom, um, separate it the same ways, or we'll go, you can go anywhere. So we can cleanly progress those things, but still make sure that we're getting all of the vectors that we want. Um, because the more speed, the more that a guy's going to have to to drop into those positions. Um, and then some things in the weight room that we'll do from like a true lateral movement is to put um, like guys into an ISO position, like learning how to push, like Matt Gildersleeve had a good talk on coaches versus COVID about like your shins, your steering wheel. Um, there's very basic laws to change your direction. Like if my shins are in the right spot, if I've sunk my center of mass, I'm going to be in a good position. And to us, it's, we want to educate them more on what they have to do. And those are the key things, like get your shins lined up in the right spot, sink your center of mass according to the entrance velocity, um, the amplitude of the cut, like a, a more aggressive cut is going to require a deeper sink. Same way, higher velocity with a more aggressive cut, like coming back out at 45, is going to require more sink. First, when you're making a 45 degree cut forward, no matter how fast you're going, it's a really easy plant and burst out. Um, so we just want them to kind of understand the laws of movement, but there's not a whole lot of you know, coaching things up really critically. Um, it's letting them do the movement, get better at it, and kind of explore. Yeah, just let them self-organize, figure it out for themselves. More than likely, they're just going to get better as time goes on without overcoaching uh, mechanics and all that, just because mechanics are going to go out the window when you get into a game or a competition anyways. It's going to be whoever can figure out the way to win is going to win regardless of their mechanics regardless of how many reps they've done at a L cone drill or a, a T test and making sure they're performing the drill correctly. So no, I think that's huge. Um, so down at Elon, what does a typical day look like as far as how you warm up, um, how much time you spend on the field, um, how much time you spend in the weight room? Um, what does a typical training session look like from a schedule standpoint? Yeah, so we operate a true kind of like high-low uh, Charlie Francis model. So we'll go three high days a week. It'll be a max or a acceleration day on Monday, uh, extensive tempo, kind of upper body focus on Tuesday, max velocity on Wednesday. Thursday is a aerobic day, um, but we don't do any extensive tempo. So we do like an upper body aerobic lift, actually. Um, and then Friday – or Saturday, it depends on how we end up mapping out our weeks based off summer, or winter. Um, but in the winter, we'll go Friday as our agility change of direction day into um, some 
extensive to intensive tempo work on the back end. And we'll always have like team competitions, things like that. We get the entire team out there on the field. Um, but for the sake of explanation, I would say, you know, any of our speed days, Monday or Wednesday, I'll say it's an acceleration day. We're going to spend probably about 15 minutes on what we would call our performance prep. Some people will call it a warm up. Um, we're going to spend about 15 minutes there. We're going to spend probably about 30 minutes on our speed and plyometric work. Um, so we're out on the field for about 45 minutes, maybe even upwards of an hour. And then we'll head into the weight room and we're looking at anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes in the weight room. We try and keep all of our sessions at about an hour and a half um, on our bigger days, our lower level days. Uh, they're a little bit quicker. We try and keep our hour 15. So for us, we'd rather have more frequency, uh, higher quality, really consolidate our focus for the day than be out there for two hours, four times a week. Yeah, I uh, like that. Yeah. Um, and, oh, sorry. Yeah. Continue. No. Um, so, but like all of our days, we try and kind of marry up our plyometric. So if it's a acceleration day, we do our horizontal plyos, max velocity day. We do our vertical stuff. Uh, change direction agility day we do more more of our uh, multi-directional plyometrics and then in the weight room our acceleration day we would like to make more of a strength strength speed type focus our max velocity day a little bit more of a speed strength um, power focus but really depends on the phase for those mm -hmm. kinds of things that'd be more in the summer um, early off season if we're doing some true kind of triphasic stuff that goes out the window it's really strength depending on kind of the, the phase that we're in, but all of our teams fall into that kind of vertical integration model. We don't really ever abandon anything. We're going to try and focus on every quality. It's just at what percentage. Yeah. Um, and for us, speed is always going to be an incredibly high percentage. That's why we use that high, low model to make sure that we're keeping guys as, as fresh as we can throughout the week and really maximizing those days for trying to do speed every day and meddling in that middle ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so after you come into the weight room, um, from the field, do you typically just get right into your, your main strength movement for the day? Yeah. So we don't, if we were out on the field, we already did our performance prep. We did speed and plyometrics. We're not going to do anything in the weight room besides maybe a few extra like prep sets that we might already have built into their card, um, of that specific movement. But at that point, guys have done a lot of kind of high-end work on the field. In our performance prep, we're going to address the stuff that we would have addressed in the weight room anyway if we were prepping them for that. Um, a lot more kind of global movements and then general to specific through that. So we feel that they're ready to roll when we get in there. Mm -hmm. um, and what are, your, what are your typical kind of strength movements that you guys focus on over at Elon? Uh, so our main like kind of big rocks would be split squat uh, and any of the variants that based off of that, the trap bar deadlift for our older athletes, clean grip deadlift and front squat for our freshman athletes. RDL is going to be in all the time, whether it's double leg, single leg, dumbbell, barbell, uh, any of the variants off of that. And then the pull up is a huge movement for our upper body. We still do bench press, um, push-ups. We're pretty huge on, um, but the pull-up is going to be a huge movement for our upper body. That's the one that we want to see drive it up the most. And then 
we have like a true kind of unsupported single leg um, progression that we go through. So we want guys to have the ability to do a single leg squat up on a box, skater squats, control their own body weight um, with some external load. And then try and focus on frontal plane movements as well. I think that mm -hmm. area gets neglected. It's always going to be an accessory for us, but we want to do frontal plane, transverse plane, get guys into some rotational lunges, lateral lunges, as many things that we can do that aren't just that old school sagittal plane up and down, um, the better. Yeah. Um, do you have any more thoughts on the – transverse and frontal plane why you think it's neglected or why you think it's more important than people realize uh i mean sport isn't sagittal in nature yet the weight room is sagittal in nature like that's what everyone wants to do just because barbells and dumbbells are kind of fixed objects and that's the easiest thing to do mm -hmm. um and thus i mean again that's an accessory but from a health standpoint if your athletes don't know how to rotate adduct abduct um just if you look at the hip in general the amount of people that neglect abduction and adduction at the hip within their training is pretty large um so i think it really is going to benefit performance to get in those areas as well but the biggest thing is from an injury risk standpoint in my opinion interesting um so you you mentioned how you have freshmen on a card the older guys on another card how do you know if uh, an athlete's progressed to get to more of a, an advanced um, programming? Yeah, so we have like a clear entrance criteria and exit criteria basically for all of our stages. So we do foundation, foundation plus, advanced, advanced plus. Okay. And I'll start backwards a little bit. Advanced plus is almost the same as the advanced card, except it's just a little bit more incentivized and auto-regulated. And the only difference in those is they're all – meant to be advanced programming athletes it's just we highly trust those guys in the advanced plus so we reward them by giving them more autonomy over their program um but the foundation that's all of our freshmen that's going to be a ton of isometric work whether that's body weight under load um, but extreme isos to where they're getting really good at controlling themselves in critical positions and ranges and we do like a one by 20 progression. Um, so we'll go one by 20, one by 15, one by 10. And we just ride that thing out because we want nuance throughout their entire career. We can't be one to five reps forever. The same way we can't be the same movement forever. Um, you want to be able to have variability within your program and why start specific when it's not going to make any difference um we've had athletes with absolutely ridiculous gains doing some of the most general programs possible um and for us it's okay great let's maximize that through the general means and then as we progress to our foundations plus we'll get a little bit more selective and then our advanced athletes are going to be doing a lot more um strength power or uh speed strength strength speed a little bit more of that velocity based kind of spectrum. Um, but so our foundation athletes, they will ride out that entire program. They'll go one by 20, one by 15, one by 10, and they'll ride out each one until they're not making progress. Basically okay. if they hit a one by 20 and they go one week where they don't hit a PR, we'll give them one more chance the next week. And if they're not PRing, go to the one by 15. Um, 
And if the entire group is close to the same, just keep them together. Um, it might be four weeks, three weeks, two weeks, whatever it is. And then throughout the season, um, specifically for football, like they're definitely going to ride that out throughout the summer. And then in season, we'll keep it just because it gives us some variability while I guess a high volume per set, but the overall training volume is pretty low. Like you hit one set of 10 on a primary movement. It's, you know, a lot of people would say three by five is perfectly acceptable in season, but wouldn't do a one by 10. Um, so really the overall total load volume is lower, um, but it's still going to let guys improve during the season yeah. is what we found. So we'll go a lot less exercises. Um, but early on, we love it paired with isometrics as well because you get a lot of variability um, as far as, you know, they're all foundational movements, but we can expose them to a few more things, um, key patterns. It's going to drive up their work capacity. Um, and then I'm definitely not a big, like, mental toughness guy because um, most people don't really understand what that is, in my opinion. But as far as setting the tone for – like getting better is not easy. Like you do a set of 20, if you're going to a true max effort, like there's no way around it. That's not going to be an easy set. Um, so it does get those guys to learn how to, you know, go about their work um, and be a little bit more aggressive about their work um, and just take some initiative, which I like as well. Um, but then as soon as they are done making progress in that one by 20 progression, they're out of it. Um, so they have a clear kind of exit criteria. They'll go to the foundation plus program. And with that, they'll move into the trap bar deadlifts. Um, your normal rep ranges of kind of one to five, still more of a strength focus. Like we'll do, um, a submaximal triphasic with those guys. The first thing in that phase early off season, then we'll go into more of like a kind of APRE, um, focus program, but still strength is a focus because they have such a low training maturity, but building off of the clean grip deadlift, the front squat and those higher rep ranges guys really take off when they switch over to the trap bar and some lower rep ranges. So it gives you a kind of quick increase again. And we won't progress guys off of that onto the advanced card until it's actually necessary. So for us, a guy's probably not going to be on, well, he's not going to be on an advanced card before he's a junior. So you're going to write out the foundation program as a freshman, most likely. As you're a rising sophomore, you'll be on that foundation plus. And as you're a rising junior, you might be on the advanced. You might still be foundation plus. That depends on we have our own metrics based off of all our athletes. Um, and we shared it on our Instagram. It's kind yeah. of um, just relative strength standards. So if you're good, in all of those areas, strong enough, quote unquote, mm -hmm. then we're going to progress you. Um, and it really depends on the position. If we have a guy who's a lineman and he's right on the fringe, you know, strength is a key quality for him. We might keep him on the foundations plus a year longer. Um, and if there's deficiencies in a guy, but we might go on the advanced card and just add in a little bit more extra body strength work because he struggles in the upper body, but he's great in his lower body stuff to where we can really focus on his speed um, and other things out on the field and have kind of that more true high low because we're not focusing on so much strength in the weight room, really a optimized vertical integration concept versus our young athletes are more of a kind of just basic linear periodization model. Um, and then our advanced athletes are going to be really 
deficiency-based programming. So we'll individualize things a little bit more for them. What are the things that they need by position? What are the things that they need because they're just not very good at them that we've established based off our testing? And then everything is going to be tailored towards them being faster, more powerful. Um, and we'll touch strength, but at that point, strength has no longer become a critical element for them. Just more more focusing on giving them the stimulus and not actually progressing on moving heavier weight on a specific lift, so to say. Yeah, so, you know, like we have a D lineman who trap bar deadlifts 700 pounds. Is him getting to 710, the amount of time invested in that, worthwhile? No. If he can move... 500 pounds, like 600 pounds, still heavy weights faster. I think that's going to have more carryover yeah. than him moving five, 10 extra pounds at a really slow velocity. Um, so it gets tailored more towards, we still want them, in my opinion, they're still getting stronger without changing their absolute max. Mm-hmm. Because if you can move lighter weights um, and even heavy weights, 80%, 90% faster, you've still gotten stronger. Yeah. Yeah, the strong enough. Um, I don't know if there's really a perfect way to assess whether whether or not someone is strong enough, but it sounds like you guys have a pretty good metric by which by which you guys go by. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Quick question on the freshmen: Do most of the freshmen there uh, redshirt? And if like, does that have any um, influence on how you program for them? If if you got three or four freshmen that are playing every Saturday versus the rest of the other 18 freshmen who are redshirting. Um, so <clears throat> our guys who play are definitely on a different program. Okay. We have a in season, we'll have a two deep card um, advanced and a two deep card foundation. And so those guys are going to have different things but we're still going to try and lift those guys pretty aggressively. It's just going to be twice per week versus our guys who aren't traveling. Our non-travel foundation card is going to be those guys are trained three to four times a week. Okay. So we're going to be a lot more uh, – just have a lot more opportunities to get those guys stronger because what they're doing on the field after the work is done on Thursday doesn't really – I mean, they have a huge break. So Thursday, Friday are really big training days for us, for the guys who don't play. The guys that do play, they train Monday, Wednesday, and from that point on – or, sorry, Monday, Tuesday, and then have the rest of the week that they're just focused on football. So there's definitely some differences, but we do still focus on strength just because, in my opinion, they're so far generally from their – potential within the weight room um, even most of their speed stuff at that young age that they can handle a little bit more work in those areas cool well uh i don't want to take up too much more of your time nick so i'll uh let you get going here Uh, i appreciate you taking the time to come talk to me about all this stuff i love picking your brain picking the brains of everyone in this field it's always a good time Um, for the people listening where can they find you on social media or elon performance on social media yeah, I think the best thing to do would be to follow Elon Sports Performance. I think we put a lot more stuff out there individually. I probably post a little bit more on Twitter. Uh, I think it's DeMarco Nick, something like that. I don't know. If you just look up Nick DeMarco, I think you yeah. can find me. Um, but on Instagram, Twitter, I put out some stuff, and then anyone can reach out to my Elon 
uh, email if they have any questions. Awesome. Yeah, I'll make sure I'll put the put the tags or the handles in the description below here for people who are who are interested. So awesome. once again, thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. It's always fun talking to other people. I think you guys got a lot of great stuff going down at down at uh, at Elon. Um, yeah, keep posting your stuff. I always like looking at it. Um, gives me new ideas to do with my athletes. I've definitely stolen a lot of your stuff, so I'll continue to do that as long, as long as you keep posting that stuff. So, uh, appreciate yeah, once, it. once again, man, uh, appreciate it. Take care. Have a good one.